dreaming of Tokyo, you need to try something new in your training. And that's the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece. It's a new training tool that launched last year after 16 years of research. The Airwave Performance Mouthpiece fits along your bottom teeth and pushes your jaw just forward enough to create, quote, the optimal airway opening. Their tests show it can reduce the respiratory rate by 20%, which means less lactic acid, increase strength, muscular endurance, faster recovery times. It can reduce your cortisol buildup by up to 50%. Check it out. It's only $39.99. And let's run listeners can save 10% by using code LR10. Use code LR10. Link in the show notes, Airwave. That's A-I-R-W-A-A-V.com. Check it out now. And don't forget, play in the Let's Run.com Running Warehouse Tokyo Prediction Contest. Make the games way more exciting. Enter by 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Link in the show notes. Spread the word. Play with your friends. It's super easy. You pick the top three from our guide. All right, here's the show. Can you guys hear that? Those are boots on Japanese soil. We have boots on the ground in Tokyo for the 2020 Olympics. They begin on Friday morning. That's Thursday night, East Coast time if you're in the United States. The Olympics we never thought would come here are here. The 2020 Olympics in 2021 from Tokyo. Robert Johnson is en route. Weldon Johnson is manning the fort. Let's run.com US headquarters for this week. Guys, it's the Olympics. I mean, how pumped are we, Robert? How excited? Well done. It's a, I'm, I'm so excited doing this podcast, even though it's midnight local time in Tokyo right now. I'm so excited as well, John. But first, before we get into the show, I think things are in order. Thank you, President Biden. You've come through at the last minute for my passport. It was great to meet you, to see you. To You love America. You love the Olympics. Your wife's over there. It was touch and go whether I'd get the passport. And then you asked if there was anything else you could do for me. And I said, yeah, I've got a friend named Luis. He needs a passport too, even though he's not an American citizen. I'm going to the Olympics. Luis Grijalva is there, is going as well. The world is good, the world is good. Well, unless you're a fan of the US Women's Gymnastics team, Simon Biles has pulled a Susan Faber Hamilton. Oh my God, Robert, Robert, this is just, Simone Biles is one of the most famous athletes on the entire planet, and you just called her Simon Biles. I just don't even... I don't know. You you, you know how to pronounce, like, Sidney McLaughlin, right? And Grant Holloway and, and Noah Lyles. You're going to be good with those, right? I will be. I apologize, folks. I, for, I forgot. I, I'm only on three hours sleep. I had to get up at 4.45 to catch the plane. Actually, I wrote down some notes here, and it says, do not talk about Simon Biles. Do not talk about Simon Biles. Do not talk about Simon Biles. Simone. Simone Biles. Hey, but <laughs> then are you you're not going to be in Tokyo. Are you are you getting FOMO right now? Or are you going to be okay back back home? I think I'll be okay, John. I thought it was going to be fine. And then my car was stolen this morning, so it's it's been quite the twenty four hours for the Let's Run dot com crew, guys. But this is pretty crazy. Also, in this last week, Matthew Sinchwitz went for the American record in the mile, missed it, came up short. Ran 349, sub 350 for the first time. Alberto Salazar was banned for life, and I, I like wasn't even going to mention it. It's kind of crazy where we are, because the Olympics are here. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next week. 
And if you want daily podcasts, we think we're going to do daily video shows from Tokyo. Become a Let's Run.com Supporters Club member right now. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. We did it for the trials. Tons of you signed up. We assume a lot of you guys want to sign up for the Olympics as well. So don't miss out. Yeah, definitely. Go to Let's Run.com slash subscribe. You can sign up for only one month if you're a cheapskate. Do it now. And folks, VIP subscribers, you get the daily access to daily podcasts, and you also get the inside information. John, before we get to the action, what was it like getting there to the games? We've heard how tough it is, how hard it is, all the security measures. Are you locked in your hotel room right now? Are you allowed to eat food and water? I think some Olympians are on your plane. Give us a little behind the scenes. Yeah, I can confirm they're allowing us to have food and water. They're not going to let the press corps starve here in Tokyo, so that's good news. Uh, yeah, flight. I flew Boston to Chicago, Chicago to Tokyo, and the Chicago flight was virtually empty, probably the most empty plane ride I've ever been on. We did have multiple U.S. Olympians were on that flight, including two-thirds of the high hurdle crew on the men's side, Daniel Roberts and Devin Allen, were both on the flight. Uh, pretty smooth trip into Tokyo. I think I got through, I got out of the airport and onto the shuttle bus within two and a half hours, which compared to all the athletes I've been seeing, it's a lot faster than any of the times I've seen. I think Emma Coburn and Gabby Thomas both said they did three hours and they thought that was pretty quick. So pretty fortunate, fortunate there. All my documents checked out. They said we needed two negative COVID tests within 96 hours of departure. They never asked for that first one. I think the 72-hour one is the only one that really matters. But they accepted that, got my visa. Now in the hotel, supposedly the the access I applied for, I will be able to go outside the hotel if I keep testing negative every day. Uh, but I need to get the COVID test first delivered to the hotel because they didn't have any way to order them. So uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it on Thursday. But yeah, happy, healthy. No complaints. A little tired, but I'll be going to bed after this. John, John, John. Often he buries the lead. He he didn't tell the fans what they want to know. I asked John, "Have you eaten? Do they have food in our hotel?" He said, "I ordered Burger King off Uber Eats." This is what's wrong with the world. He supported a, a sexist company, Uber. Don't they have like Lyft Eats or something over there, John, or a local Japanese company? I mean, J- Japan's spending a lot of money in these games. They need local companies supporting, and then he orders Burger King. Pretty amazing. All right, yeah, Robert, the, Robert, the king of fast food. I can't wait to see. You're just going to be ordering McDonald's every week, and probably, you know, walking out to get your diet cokes everywhere. I don't know. You get the full, or is that the full sugar coke? I don't know. Robert's definitely going to order more fast food than I do on this trip. I guarantee you that. Uh, anything else about the trip, or should we get to, you know, the Centro Mile and then the Olympic preview? Okay, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about the Centro event then, right? This is pretty interesting. Sprung up basically three days beforehand, Matthew, the Bauman Track Club announces Matthew Centrowitz is going to do something he's never tried to do, which is break an American record. And they get together a decent crowd. I think it was about 1,500 at Jesuit High School in Portland. Centro has a couple pacemakers, his teammates, Amos Bardosmeyer and Josh Thompson. But they go out a little bit too quickly and he can't hold on, ends up fading pretty badly over the last half. 349, still a personal best. Fastest mile by an American since 2007 when Webb set the record. You know, but after the race, Centro admitted, you know, it wasn't what he wanted. And I think the reason you, he would think that is 
how many guys in the world can run 349 right now? I think a whole bunch of them. And if it's going to be a fast Olympic final, you're going to need to be in 346 shape to medal probably. So that might be a little disappointing for Centro, but I don't think just because he ran 349 instead of 346 that he can't medal in Tokyo. What do you guys make of it? Good race, bad race, impressed, no? It was a necessary race. It wasn't very good. I mean, there's no way it's good. I mean, it's not what he needed. But at the same time, they're pretty aggressive on the pace. So if he's not going to get the record and run a 346, I think it's not a terrible result. He's got his body used to going out faster than he's ever gone out in his life. He's never been a time trialer, never gone out, you know, what 55, that sort of pace. So if the pace is hot in Tokyo, he's going to have the muscle memory. I think it could help him a bit by then. The question for me, though, is if it's a 330 race, can he hold up? He, he He's, I don't know. He should be better, what, 10 days from now, essentially, or whenever it is. Um, so I'm still not ruling him out, but beforehand, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, he gets the record here. He's coming in here. He could be the favorite. And now I kind of, I don't have his medal chances any differently than I did before that race, I guess. If anything, they're lower for me, but I, that this, I feel like this type of effort was necessary. I'm glad he raised, you know, I, I think he's getting older. He needs to raise more often at, at the smaller distances, shorter distances. I remember 2019, right? He ran 13 flat before worlds. We thought he was in the same shape and then he got smoked. But what was the time there? He ran 332, right? In that final. Here he runs 332 again, disappointing race for sure. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I just, I thought, I thought the rabbiting was terrible. I, I couldn't get over that. They, uh, the pacing lights guy, help us out, John, give us his name and his company's name. David Hudman, light speed pacing. I mean, he wanted to go out there. It's very important that you get it perfectly right. And they got two seconds too fast for the first 400 and the rabbits can't even make it more than a thousand meters. It was terrible. It's a rare instance where Jerry Schumacher gets it wrong on that front, but I'm glad that he raced. He needs more races he, just to get used to that. But this is not, you know, a, a good sign at all. Um, you know, John and I started the 1500 meter preview and to me, it's clear. Let's, let's talk about the 1500 right now. Potato Tim is the favorite. I know he got fourth at the, at the Kenyan trials, but this guy, John has the stat of the year. He wins the 1500s on the circuit more often than Steph Curry makes free throws. It's like 90.9%. His betting odds are only implied odds of 60%. That's a good bet. People should put money on him right now. Does that mean he's going to win? No. If he loses, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be easy. We're going to say, oh, he was only fourth at the Kenyan trials. But that ignores the fact that he's just PR. Now, maybe he PR'd. I mean, he had super shoes in 2019. Why would he PR this year if he's not in the best shape ever? You could argue that the pacing was perfect in Monaco. But I think he's in good shape. And I think he's going to win it. Well, his PR is actually from 2018 when he didn't have the super shoes, Robert. But, I mean, here's the thing as regards to Centro. I think this race, if the web, the, sorry, the Centro mile showed us anything, I don't think he can win if it's like it was in 2019 Worlds. Like the winning times, 329-2. Centro's not beating that. He needs to have it be more tactical. Now, it could be 330 three or anything slower than that i think he could win it but maybe maybe even 332 high but he can't have what chariot did in 2017 2019 worlds or even maybe 2017 when he took it from 400 in that kind of race i just don't think i think there's too many other good time trials in this race and centro is you know maybe the fact that it would be the third round of a championship final that does help him because he always runs very well with the rounds but 
329, Centro needs the winning time to be north of 330, preferably significantly north. Now, in terms of the other guy, you know, the guys who could beat Chariot, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, I think he, do we all agree he's sort of the number two guy? He's the one with the biggest chance of taking him down. Mohamed Katir, who is second in Monaco, is only doing the 5K in Tokyo. And that just leaves Ingebrigtsen, who ran 329 too, but he missed some time going into that race. He wasn't totally healthy. I think if you can run 329 less than 20, less than 100%, you can run 328 for sure. At 100%, he ran 328 in 2020, came two tenths away from beating Chariot. He's a year older. He's run 1248 for 5,000 this year. He has to be the guy with the second best chance of winning this race. Yeah, again, if he wins it, everyone's going to say he's the team phenom. He's LeBron James of the event. And, you know, why didn't we see this coming? He missed a little bit of time. He's in better shape. But whatever. You said earlier, John, if it's slow, Central could win. But if it's slow, why is he going to beat Josh Kerr? Please, someone tell me that. Josh Kerr is a younger version of Centralist. Former NCAA champion. He's run super fast this year. He's already run 331 by himself. And did you see what he did this weekend? I think it was at the sound running meet, like as a practice. It wasn't even an official race. He went 55 for the first lap and then 50 for the second lap. 145, or it was a 146. That's pretty sick. And tell the people, John, the inside information. You talked to his coach, and what he said to you was absurd to me. Yeah, well, Dan, I mean, Joshka talks big. Like he want, he, he's not going to Tokyo to make the final. He's not going there to win a medal. He's going there to win the gold medal. That is what he's shooting for. He's not shy about letting people know. And to that end, him and his coach Danny Mackey, they've been working at all the different sort of scenario race scenarios that it takes to win that gold. If it's really slow, like it was in 20, 20, uh, 2016, he, he wants to be able to close fast. Well, we saw what he did at the British Champs. He outkicked Jake Whiteman, a 144 guy with a sick final 300 meters in a 340 race. Uh, I don't think Kerr is going to let it get that way. If it gets really slow, I expect Kerr to take on the pacing. But with Chariot in the field, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Now, and then if it goes really fast, well, he wanted to be able to run a really fast time as well. So that's why they had that 331 that they did earlier in the season, which is very impressive. Kerr basically soloed that thing. And then if it's somewhere in between, like, say, the 2004 Olympic final, that's the race that Danny Mackey kind of drew the comparison to, where it's a really hard final 800. Well, that's exactly what that 800 that they just worked on uh, before the sound running meet was meant to to replicate. And Danny, he was very, you know, he, was, he wasn't going crazy. Like, he knows that Ingebrigtsen and... Chariot and some other guys are in really good shape too. You know, he's, he's told me like, I, I think there are probably a couple other guys, you know, they're five, you know, I think maybe up to 10 guys in the world who could do that 146 workout. He thought that might be overselling it. I think that's really tough, but he told me, he thinks that Josh Kerr is in 327 shape right now. And Josh also said on his own podcast, sit and kick podcast, he ran a 22, eight, 200 pretty much all out a few days ago, which that that's pretty insane speed. So to me, that tells me Josh Kerr is freaking ready. Wow. That was the longest winded insider info. I think we're trying to get to like, he ran three, he said he's in 327 shape. That's crazy. In case you guys are following along at home, the world record is 326 pre super shoes. But I have one question for John. Did you know that information before Monday morning call? Did I know what information? Did you, had you spoken to Danny before the Monday call? No. Wow. Because I have some audio for you guys. 
he went through in 55 and then he closed in a 50 for a 146. I'm starting to think Josh Kerr could win the Olympic gold medal. Whoa. I'm putting that on the podcast. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Jonathan Galt on the secretly recorded Let's Run.com Monday conference call saying he thought Josh Kerr could win the Olympic gold. That was before he heard he was in 327 shape. I mean, I kind of want to bet this. Kyle Moba had his newsletter today. He said Josh Kerr's plus 4,000. You bet 100, you win $4,000 if he wins the gold. I think those are fantastic odds. Does he win the race more than once every... What's that? What's the implied odds there, Robert? Once every two, you know, 25 times or something? Like, I think he does. Those are great odds, and I think that's a good bet. I love Josh Kerr. We have fake Josh Kerr. By the way, intern Carl is going to be on the show later. He interviewed Josh Kerr. He asked him point blank, put him to the grill. The Let's Run is known for asking the hard questions. He said, Josh Kerr, are you also fake Josh Kerr? He denied being the fake Josh Kerr. But, John, I almost got kicked off my first flight when I, when I called you when I landed because you said this again that he can win. I've been tempted to pick him and stuff like that and, and like him because then if you, if you make a bull pick, you'll have predicted. But this is absurd. We know what's going to happen. He's in great shape, but he's not going to blow by Timothy Cheria. It's going to be close. We're going to be wondering what's happening. But 331 is a long way away from 328. And he's going to be there with 150 to go. And then Chirac is going to pull away and win the goddamn Olympic gold medal like he deserves it. He's one of the all-time greats. He deserves the gold. And he's going to win it this weekend. All right. That, I mean, that's the most likely scenario, no doubt. Uh, Cole, Cole Hawker, should we give a second? I mean, he is the U.S. champion. I think, interesting, who do you guys think has better medal odds, Centro or Hawker? Because I actually think it's Centro. Just because he's been through the ringer before, he has medaled multiple times at these major championships, and he wasn't that far behind Cole Hawker at USA's. But what do you guys say? No, I still have to go with Centro, slightly ahead of Hawker, because I know Centro can, uh, I don't know, he's just more experienced. I think his odds are just better than Hawker's. If Hawker looks good through the semis and you put him in the final, then maybe I'll go there. But I don't know. I guess I, I really don't think Central will do that well in a th- sub-330 race, but I don't know if Hawker can do that either. But do we do we know for sure Ingerbritson's only doing the 15? I don't know if we said that on the podcast. I've been kind of texting the police here about the car. Norwegian media has reported that. Okay. I guess that really doesn't change... Well, it would change. If you tried to double, the 5K final would be first. So that makes it harder for Centro and them. Um, the, one of the greatest 1,500 Olympic of runners of all time, McCluffy, is out. People just rolled over with me saying that. I, I guess I should say one of the most uh, credentialed Olympic 1,500-meter runners of all time. So this thing's pretty wide open. And what do you mean uh, wide open? Chariot's the commanding favorite. The 800's wide open. This event's not wide open. That, that's not the right word. I didn't use the right word. I think one of the beauties of the eight and the 15 is the 15, probably more so. It can go slow, it can go fast. There's tactics. You can't just, like a 5K, be better than anyone and just automatically usually run away from everybody. Now, Chariot did this a couple years ago, but there's just a little more randomness. And. Like with Manningoy missing his test and not here, there's just not uh, multiple people head and shoulders above everybody else. There's one guy who stands out, 
and then a 1B, and then these other guys are like, I'm ready to take over those guys. So it's going to be it's going to be the race to the championships for me on the men's side. I see what you're trying to say, Well, but the reality is he's a 60% favorite. So he, it's him versus the field. The odds are saying pick him. I actually think that's a good money bet. I think it should be higher than 60%. I think he wins his race at least two out of three times. Um, as for Hawker versus Centralist, I don't know. Wouldn't surprise me if Hawker is absolutely terrible. It's been a long season. Who's he been training with is what I've been wondering. But he's also been amazing. Hasn't disappointed anyone. So I, I think he could medal. Athletics Weekly picked him to get the silver medal. I don't know if, if they're serious about that um, or not, but it is going to be a fantastic race. Yeah. I think the one worry about Hawker is what happened at USA's he was able to get out of that box. And Robert's always like, oh, tactics are overrated. You know, positioning doesn't matter. Well, actually, if it's a tactical Olympic final, it does matter a lot. So if he's not, if he's in a bad position, which I think he's more likely to be in a bad position than Centro, that is going to bite him more in an Olympic final than it is a U.S. final where he's better than almost all the guys. One last thing here, I was thinking about this. This race is expected to be hot from the start. Um, if I was Timothy, I might wait like two or 300 before doing it. But if it does go hot, we could see like a C-proof on type type thing or a Lord Muir type thing where Josh Kerr goes for the gold, ties up and gets passed and loses the medal because there's going to be a lot. I think if you run for the gold, that's not the best way to get a medal. I, I think Inga Britson, you know, history has shown us that Inga Britson and Chariot are a little bit better than these other guys. So they would probably go one, two, whoever tries to go with them ends up costing themselves third which should be interesting, you know, on that front. Guys, question for you. How long do you think – I'm now recording the podcast in the bathroom at the airport lounge. I was in the kids' area, but I was the only one in there. It was the only private area, and then these kids came in, so I left. And now I've gone into the family bathroom, but I figured like five minutes before they start thinking I'm doing something untoward in here. Uh, you just got to, you know, do some co- loud, audible coughing or like – do you, do you have any thoughts stored up, Robert, that you can unleash just to let people know that you're actually making use of this thing? And maybe they'll hit me the Rojo rant through the thing. I did think about this. Now, I was going to ask you guys, like, I was wishing the podcast, but my flight was tomorrow. I wasn't sure what to wear on the plane. I thought about wearing the gold let's run.com t-shirt and then Weldon's white USA track and field sweatshirt that was official team gear, I think, from the Pan Am Games because I thought, like, I might be treated better, might get upgraded first class. Like, but then I kind of thought, well, people are going to be like, oh, are you going to the Olympics? And I'll be like, uh, no, my brother almost sort of wanted to try to make the Olympics. <laughs> John, was first class on your plane empty? Like they should have, if you're going for the games, I feel like you should have been just automatically upgraded. I'm trying to think. I, I didn't see it full, but I, did, I didn't get a good look at it. I don't know. So did you have three seats to yourself? I didn't need to pay to get you the... Economy Plus? Well, then, I had, like, almost my entire section. Of the, there was, like, four other people in the whole section of the cabin I was in. It, the flight was it was the emptiest flight I've ever been on. Do you consider it bad journalism to tell us what class Devin Allen and D- Daniel Roberts were flying in? Well, I didn't see him in fr- I didn't see them behind me, and the only class in front of me was business class. So I'm pretty sure they were business class. Wow. You think USATF Springs Fed or United a sponsor? United's a sponsor, so I'm pretty sure they. I saw a bunch of athletes taking like selfies of them, like driving the plane or whatever. And the, you know, there's been promotion, cross promotion. So, all right. So we spent about 20 minutes previewing the 1500. That we can't do that for every single event. Should we run through? I mean, I, I want to talk about the sprints. I think we have to. Should we run through the sprints real quick and then you know, just go up in ascending order? Are you guys good with that? 
Yeah, we can do it real quick. But again, if you sign up for Let's Run VIP membership, let's run.com slash subscribe. Every day we'll be doing the podcast. I think we have to officially, every day before the event starts, make our predictions. I don't think we have time to do it for every event here. But let's go through it quickly. I also, we got to talk about the women's side. We've talked a lot of time about the men. I want to spend a lot of time about Safan Hassan. John, you wrote a great preview of the women's 10,000. If she pulls off the triple, well, if she wants to pull off triple gold, she, it could be the greatest feat in women's track and field history. But she could just be really become a legend at this meet. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be epic. We'll get to that in a second. But yeah, let's just stop for the sprints real, real quick. Men's hundred Bromel's the heavy favorite here. Ronnie Baker has been running pretty well, but the only time that Bromel lost was in Monaco when he stumbled. I don't know if there's really that much else to say. This will be an incredible story. If Bromel pulls it off, he was left for dead two years ago. Now he's back to the Olympic favorite. It'd be pretty crazy. I do expect, I think it's almost, Certain Amer- an American will win this race. Maybe Akani Simbine is the only other guy I could see winning, but yeah, it's either Bromel or Baker if Bromel f- falters. Yeah, it would be amazing. I mean, he left the last Olympics literally in a wheelchair. So I-, I hope he wins it. By the way, did you guys see there was this European guy that had been running 10 fours all season? He ran a 9.84 in some obscure meet in the US to break the uh, European record. John totally discounted him. And then now he's been popped for steroids. And he tried to say that he ate some beef like LJ Wilson at a Jamaican restaurant. And that, that excuse has not been accepted and he has been banned. So kind of interesting, John. After the Olympics, I would like to see the sort of like the levels because I think the, the, the testing levels matter. Like did he test positive at a level like a thousand times higher than LJ Wilson? I'd be curious to know those numbers down the road, but we don't really have time to talk about that now. Men's 200, obviously Noah Lyles is the favorite here. I mean, NBC really needs him to win this because they've been hyping him up. All the newspapers have been hyping him up. They, they tried to pick like an American to be like the face of, of track and field. Everyone picked him. His season hasn't been fantastic so far, but I do think he'll probably win that race. Yeah, it's the same situation as in the men's 100. If he doesn't win, it's going to be an American. Most likely Kenny Bednarik's the second best guy in this field. Arian Knighton, we, I mean, we need to at least talk about this guy. 19-8 at age 17. I can't. I can't wait to see what he does. Now, this is his first Olympics, obviously. He's the youngest U.S. track and field Olympian on the men's side since Jim Ryan in 1964. So him, it's just, I mean, it's all up, it's all cake at this meet, right? You know, he if he runs well, great. If he doesn't, he's 17, he'll get a few more of these. So it should be pretty exciting to see how he does. And don't forget about the NCAA champ, Joseph Fanbula of Liberia. The guy closes like a bullet train. Very slow out of the blocks, but I wouldn't want to see him on my shoulder with 25 to go. Yeah, Arian Knighton, I think the term you're looking for, John, he's playing with house money. And he looks so good in the semifinals of the trials of 200. Now, maybe the big boys kind of knew, hey, you don't lay it all on the line there. But I feel like if he can run like... Uh, he was so relaxed. He ran faster in the final, right? Slightly faster even though. But I feel like if he, if he could somehow bring that relaxation to the final. I mean, it's crazy, but you can't rule him out for the gold. I mean, I'm not expecting it at all. I think he'll actually be more tired by then. The long the season is worse for him, but like the opposite could be true. Maybe a three week break helped him and he comes in here and Noah who, who, I mean, that's highly unlikely, but this guy's, you know, he should make the final in my opinion. I mean, like uh, for sure, for sure. He should. Yeah. He's a 19, eight guy. All right. No, I, 
And there's a high, prob- high probability we end up talking about him like Hussein Bolt almost in the years to come. So regardless of what he does, it's still, it probably very well could be historical footnote in the years to come. Yeah. All right, women's 100. Still going to be a great race even without Shakari Richardson. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, the GOAT, 10-6-2 this year. 10-6-3, sorry. Um, Elaine Thompson-Hira, the defending champion, who ran 10-7-1 in July. She's rounding into form nicely. And Dina Asher-Smith, who really hasn't run anything fast this year, but she's also raced a decent amount in England and you know in the Netherlands. She hasn't been running in a fast race or on a fast track. I think she could win. I think those are probably the only ones with a, a serious chance. You got maybe Sharika Jackson's been running decent, but I think it's one of those three. I think it's Shelly Ann. We know she's a proven championship competitor, but those are three absolute studs at the top of the field. What, why do you think Shelly Ann's going to win? Didn't Thompson beat her? Thompson's beat her last, at the last Olympics. and just beat her recently. So why wouldn't she be the favorite? I, I think uh, Dean Asher Smith is better at 200. So I, I'm going with Elaine Thompson. Well, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price has the fastest time this year, which is the fastest time non-Flojo in history. She beat Elaine Thompson at the Jay Macon Champs. She won the 2019 world title. She's a more consistent big meat performer than Thompson. And I know Thompson is the Olympic champion, but 2017 London, she was favored and didn't do anything. So I just trust that – I think it's going to take 10-6 high or 10-7 low to run to win this final. I trust Shelly Ann Fraser. Shelly Ann Fraser Price does that frequently. I trust her to do it more than Thompson. By the way, what's interesting to me is you guys know the population of Jamaica. Maybe someone go over this to confirm it, but I think it's around two and a half million. Like people like where are the Jamaican sprinters on the men's side. It's amazing that they're as good as they are. Period. I mean, two and a half million. Like Kenya has like eighty million people or something. One hundred twenty million people. Like people think those are small countries. Ethiopia, like. This is a tiny, tiny country. The fact that this good at spring is insane. Yeah, just shy of three million there. And looking at the women's two hundred, women's two hundred, pretty much the same women. You got Dina Asher Smith, Shelly Ann Fraser Price, Elaine Thompson, hurrah! And then you add in Gabby Thomas, number two all time at the U.S. Trials, but hadn't done really anything internationally before that. Sharika Jackson, who's been running well this year for Jamaica, and Shawnee Miller Weibo, who has said she's running the 200 at this meet, and that's her focus. But clearly, like, the 200, she could run well and not even medal. That's how stacked this field is. Whereas the 400, she would be the favorite for gold. A lot of people seem to think she's just going to, despite what she's been saying publicly, she will run the 400. But if she does run the 200, she is a threat to win. I'm really excited for this race because you add in Ashley Smith, the British star. You add in Gap Thomas, the American star. And, I mean, Thomas is what? The second fastest woman in history? But she's like a total wild card. Like, if she wasn't from the U.S., if she hadn't been an NCAA record holder, if she was from, like, Algeria, Morocco, and remember she did have that thing with some missed tests and whatever, you'd be like, this girl is doped. I mean, you would think that. But I don't think she is. I've followed her career at the Ivy League level for a long time. But – can she live up to the hype? Can she back that time up? We don't really know. I don't think she's raced since the trials. Um, has she done? Which makes me a little bit ner- nervous on that front. And, you know, by the transitive property, the other people haven't been running fast, but they haven't been beating the Americans that Thomas beat by any more than Thomas was beating them. So I don't think she's going to run away with this in any stretch of the imagination. And, 
you know, I kind of was putting an asterisk next to Astrid Schmidt's 2019 world title because not very many people were in that race. But then she showed up and beat Shelly Ann Fraser Price in Europe. So I, I, I would want to think it's going to be Thomas or, or Astrid Smith, but it's going to be a fun race. Yeah, and you watch out for some scratches too. A lot of the times, women who they underperform in the 100, they might just scratch the 200, or they might tweak something. Like, not everyone on this entry list is going to run the event. And then the women's 400, I mean, Miller Weibo's an idiot if she doesn't run that event. Absolutely stupid if she does not run the 400. She's got to do that. She wins it if she runs it. Okay, wait, a couple things about the 200. I mean, Gabby Thomas has been crazy this year. She'd never broken 22 seconds. Now she's run 21.6. Now, granted, all the sub-22s were at the Eugene track. Then you start wondering, maybe the heat or something with the track. You think the track could be super fast that day? Dina Asher-Smith, her PB is 21.88. That's .27 behind Gabrielle Thomas. That's not even the same ballpark. So if Gabby Thomas can run a 21.6, she's not losing, I don't think. I don't think Shelly and Fraser Price is going to beat that. What, John? Well, well, yeah. If you run 21.6, you're not going to lose. Like, that's fair. it's fairly okay. Sorry, I just think it's a fairly straightforward sentence. Well, she just did it, so maybe someone else could raise their game. I don't know. I, I open up the possibility of the Olympics of people raising raising their game. And a couple of things. Back to the hundred. We have not mentioned Simone Biles. I'm kind of shocked we haven't gotten there. But John, I don't know if you know, she's now pulled out of the all around. We did mention this at the start of the podcast. Well, then Robert called her Simon, and I freaked out. Oh, it's, but we didn't really talk about it and like what you thought about it and whether she's heroic or a choker. See, people just flip. They use that word. Whether she quit. You know, it's fascinating because the one thing that's unique about gymnastics is uh, like you could kill yourself, it seems like, if it goes wrong. I've never heard of that happening, but that's the one caveat. But me personally, are we at this area where you do what you need to do and you're called heroic for it? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, people don't listen to this track podcast for gymnastics takes. I would say neither the word choker nor hero are appropriate in this situation and leave it at that. Yeah, it's a little more nuanced. I think that we need a little more nuance in our world, but not for sports topic but- opinions. One more thing. So that got me thinking, oh my God, if she competed, the ratings would be through the roof for NBC. Now ratings are coming back up and people are saying they're lower than Brazil. Of course they're lower than Brazil. Everything's taped. Half the stuff primetime is taped. I'm sure NBC new ratings would be lower. But ratings are coming back up a bit. But Shikari Richardson should be in these games. And let's not forget it. A slap on the wrist punishment should not be, you know, if if you get a fine, some minor traffic ticket or like a day in jail, a lot of times they let you like pick that around work or whatever it is. This thing that's meant to be a one-month suspension is not should not keep her out of the Olympics. It's a travesty and they need a better system. One more thing. We're talking, Robert wants to go to 400. Sharika Jackson, John, 400, does that ring a bell for you? Yeah, I mean, she's me- did she medal in 20... Was she the bronze medalist in 2019 or 2015? I mean, she's medaled in the 400 before. She did that. She's the female Fred Curley. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, this is like Jamaica's number three sprinter. She got a bronze at the last Olympics and the last Worlds in the f- 400. And this year, just started blasting, you know, 100s and 200s. She's run... Ten seven seven and twenty one eight. I mean, hell, if she just if she keeps going and sort of figures out like really how to sprint, my gosh, maybe she could challenge for both. So that's interesting. Now Miller Weibo, I think now there's talk of her doubling when she said she wouldn't do that. 
But by far her best of choice for gold is the 400. The 400 is very weak this year. And let's go there. And the double Weldon is, is very tough, 200, 400. You look at the schedule, you have to run two rounds of the 200 on day four. Then on day five, you have two more races, the 400 first round and 200 final. Then you get a, then you get a break. The 400 is actually very spread out. Day six is the 400 semi, and then day eight is the 400 final. But that's five races in three days to start off, and then you get a break before the 400 final. I, I don't think she's going to – I'd be surprised if she does the double. I'd be surprised if she doesn't do the double. If she wants to run the 200, then do it. It's not that hard to, to th- throw the 400 where she's got a much better gold medal chance at the end. So she's an absolute fool if she doesn't do that. But can someone ask, why did Weldon just randomly bring up Simon Biles in the middle of the podcast? Like, we did talk about it, and then he brought it up. I thought you were going to make a point to the 200 or 400. There seemed to be no connection there. Well, I just thought about big names. And Shikari, you need the biggest names at the Olympics, and she should be here. Uh, I wanted to see Simon Biles in, in the all-around final. I mean, it's what people want. People want the biggest names. Okay. And it, it, anyway. I would, I, to me, you know, I was joking about not mentioning Simone Biles, but um, I didn't know how to say her first name. I keep saying it wrong. But to me, I was actually going to use this to make a running point. Does this prove, Weldon thinks that so much of running is mental, and, people, and we give these champions false things like, oh, they're, they, they're mental champions. They want it better than us. And I don't think that's true at all. They're just more talented. Weldon was the same hack. They couldn't, Weldon was supposedly a head case in college who couldn't get higher than fifth in the Ivy League. But then as a pro, he was clutch every time he got fourth professionally. Like, I don't know. He just got in better shape. You know? And I've had two runners that I've coached very close to me that have had um, panic attacks in races. It happens to people. You know, maybe your fitness isn't as well as it was the year before. I mean, I do think I'd be shocked if it was just totally mental. I don't think it, I don't believe it's just totally all in her head. I feel like she probably was maybe she's getting a little bit older. It's a little bit harder to keep adding these routines. There is some pressure. But it's just interesting to me. I think that to me, this may prove that the mental fortitude that we give to these pros isn't really warranted. And it's just sort of mythology. Well, Robert, the way I see it, and this isn't applying directly to the Simone Biles situation, but just in general in track and field, I think a ter- a bad mental runner will derail themselves. That can they can some, that can run you out of a race. But I don't think it's possible to be like mentally just way stronger than everyone else. I think most of the top guys pretty much are on the same level mentally and then it comes down to talent or, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas if you do, if you, you know, mentally, if you sort of get out of it or you psych yourself out, that can submarine you. But I don't think a great mental race is going to put you over the top. What's interesting to me is that I think I read it in the Sunday New York times, but it was a profile of Biles and they said, what is your highlight of your gymnastics career? And she paused and said, my breaks. That was very disturbing to me when she said, like, my vacation, my time away from the sport is her favorite part about gymnastics. So this is a woman that obviously makes a lot of money. There is a lot of pressure on her. In the age of social media, maybe it's even worse. But, um, you know, I, I do think that you're seeing it more and more often. You saw it with the, the Japanese tennis player. And she's pulled out of two, out of two you know, grand slams. So can't believe you don't think there's some mental component. Of course, there's a mental component. We did a podcast with Jake Riley, or I did it, released on Monday. He's the on-marathoner, second of the trials. 
And I thought it was fascinating part of it. Essentially, he's coming back from Achilles' injury, been kind of running some middling races, you know, 15th at the U.S. 20K Championships, running kind of, I mean, they're longer races, but everything was over, you know, wasn't even 30-minute 10K pace. And he's thinking, okay, I'm just going to go to Chicago and run 217 maybe, get the Olympic standard. And his coach, Lee Troop's like, no, you're in like 213 shape. And he's like, whoa, that's my PR. And then they get there, and then there was a pace grip going out to 11, and Troop's like, nope, just go with it, run as long as you can. It was a different mental mindset, and he crushed it and ran 210. A huge change for me was a race I went to, and John Kellogg told me, I want you to run up front as long as you can. It was a 10K at Stanford. I ran four miles, 20 or 30 seconds faster than he thought I could do, and I'm like, wow, it just changed my outset. So I think there is a mental component. Sure, the pros may be more talented, but they also learn how to deal with the pressure. They learn how to get their best every single time. And it's kind of shocking that Simone Biles at this stage lost it. It shows the pressure she's under, but she's been under this pressure before. It's all self-imposed. It's kind of crazy to me. Well, it's not so, I mean, self-imposed. She's getting pressure from NBC's been running ad campaigns around her. Like she's the face of these games from the United States perspective. I guess you could say she's choosing to read some of that and see it, but it's kind of hard to avoid it. I wouldn't say it's self-imposed pressure. But yeah, but people are also saying, oh, stars don't do this. Uh, I just looked this up. Well, Naomi Osaka pulled out of the French Open. I think that there's also, gymnastics is different because you can really hurt yourself, but there's a, now people don't want to lose. So they're like, oh, taking care of the mental side is more important. Like, what about you could take care of the mental side or you could lose and deal with it? But like Todd Williams, American great, he ran off the track at the 1996 Olympics. 19 laps in, I just looked this up. It wasn't even the final. It was the prelims. They used to have prelims of the 10K. He just ran off the track. People pointed out Eric Jenkins in the 10K this year at the trials just sort of stopped. He wasn't injured. He just sort of kind of lost it a bit mentally. So stuff happens. But for an athlete like Biles at the Olympics in the biggest stage, it's crazy. I don't, I, I don't know of any parallel. Yeah, I can't remember anything like that. Well, well, well so what do you mean? Susie Fairbairn Hamilton fell over in the Olympics. That wasn't that long ago. I mean, I do think there's a mental side to it. Of course there is. I mean, when I was running my virtual race last year, by the way, sign up now. Race, what's it called? Raceforthered.org. We'll put it in the show notes. Raceforthered.org. You can sign up and race me on August 7th. I remember doing that last year. I was really hurting. I'm like, it's amazing to me that people just don't quit in the middle of workouts and just say, I'm done, never doing this again. Or same thing with even getting up and going to your job every day. It amazes me that people time in day in, day out, get it. But I do think like when you start analyzing, like, oh, how am I feeling today? It's weird. All this talk about mental health and being healthy, I think makes more people, like there's going to be more DNFs. There's going to be more quitting because people are worried about their mental health. Like it's hard to be super successful at anything. You think that Elon Musk has this healthy, balanced life? No. And that kind of gets to the city about Alberto Salazar ban real quick. He's been banned for life um, for sexual and emotional misconduct or something like that. Now, what's interesting here is we don't see the report. Apparently, the report does go to him, but we never see the report. So I, 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 personally, it's kind of weird to me. Like, I, I think there's three things you could say he did. One, fat shaming, verbal abuse. Two, sexual misconduct. And three, the doping. The doping has nothing to do with this. We only know about the doping. We don't know about one and two. We don't have any specifics of the allegations. Um, I do think that we should hold coaches to really high standards like the police. Um I've always said that, and I can understand why people think, oh, this guy's a jerk to never coach again. But I also believe in due process. So like, you know, I, was, I, I posted this in the message board. kind of reminds me of someone was talking about a murder case. And they're like, I think she murdered him, but I don't have enough evidence to convict him. And I, I, I do. It's kind of interesting. Like, 
is this something that maybe he won't fight? Because what is the sexual misconduct allegations? You know, some people are saying that he hit on one of the athletes on the plane after drinking too much. If that's true, maybe he doesn't want to fight that because then his wife would find out about it. So it's kind of interesting, just the whole due process. We don't really have time for that. I've got to go in 12 minutes. The Alberto kissing Cara Goucher thing, that was already discussed in the Matt Hart book. And second of all, this ban by US by Safe Sport, it's really a ban more in name only. Like if you look, Becca Gillespie Peter has a good thread on this that we'll put in the show notes, but it prevents him from coaching at USATF events, but otherwise it's not really something that's kind of an enforceable ban by a governing body. So if his CAS case is overturned, which CAS looking at you, um, you guys waiting? What, what are you waiting for here? This thing was heard in March. If that's overturned, I think he's back in the sport. I don't think this safe sport is going to prevent – it might prevent him from showing up to the Olympic trials or the U.S. championships, but pretty much any other meet, I think he's going to be okay to coach at. And there, and for most people who – there might be some like public shame if people worked with him, but I don't know. I mean, people work with Dennis Mitchell. He's not banned, but he has steroids to his name, and tons of prominent sprinters work with him. I assume like he couldn't get credentialed at the Olympics, that sort of thing. But safe sport, it was you know it was created by the U.S. Congress. So these thing, it's interesting that there's not the transparency of a issued report. But I guess they want to err on the side of protecting athletes, which I'm fine with. But in general, I want more due process. I want more tr- transparency. Um, but if it's just to, like totally err on the caution and protect the ass of the USOPC, that's fine. But like then if they can go coach someone else privately like what does it really mean does that really actually protect people it's more just stigma attached to your name speaking of which coaching someone privately we, we, we haven't talked about this i mean our normal week used to be probably what's most of the time podcast is someone hired a private eye we've had the article up for our vip subscribers a lot of people who listen to podcasts aren't vip subscribers they hired a private eye to follow galen up around for two weeks to see if he's being coached by alex Alberto salazar this person told us and the World Doping Authorities he thought he found that Rupp was working with Salazar and violating the rules. We did not think so. What they found was Rupp parks his car at a house that the Salazar family owns, the house that Kajelcha and them used to live in, the house with underwater treadmill is. He parks there and jogs over the, to the Nike campus all the time, does his workouts there. He's used the underwater treadmill. But it's just a fascinating case of like, you know, private eyes and everything like that is it too far uh, personally i think if you're going to bust them for this you probably have a better idea of busting them than looking at their phone logs maybe you see them unless you see them out of track what are you going to prove if they're talking to each other alberto salazar is Dan rupp's longtime friend they're allowed to talk to each other it would be very hard to prove salazar is going to be smarter than showing up at the track with sit with, with rupp but pretty interesting case that i wanted to mention on the podcast since not everybody had access to that vip supporting article yeah it's one of the weirdest cases I've ever reported on and Galen Rupp for the record has denied breaking any rules in this situation. He said, you know, he gave a statement to let's run actually he said to be clear, it's never happened in terms of Salazar violating terms of his ban. And he also said, it's sad that someone would follow me around to take pictures, but never have the courage to identify themselves or simply ask questions about these kinds of allegations I mean, they were taking pictures of his wife, of his kids. It's very odd. And I'm, I'm all in fo- favor of clean sport, but I, I guess it prompts the discussion, like, what's crossing the line? Is this, is this cool if we're doing it in the name of c- clean sport? 
if we if so well you made the point we were talking about this offline like if they turned up evidence that Salazar was still coaching Rupp or that they were violating the ban, then would we be like, oh, this is some genius, hired a private investigator, right? But the fact that they didn't, I just it's it struck me as very creepy. Yeah, well, one, I wonder if the report was meant for whoever hired it, and then that person has to get it to the media, so then they send it to us, and we're like, hey, why do we need these pictures of Salazar playing with his kids and such and such? And since you didn't find stuff, you're like, oh, you creep. But the person who sent it, we do not, for the record, we did not know who it was. We had, we did not pay for this report. We had nothing to do with its production or anything. It was just sent to us, and they they believed that a doping violation had been committed. My take is, I don't think so. They've turned this over to the doping authorities who have acknowledged they are looking into it. Yeah. So, I, I'm actually surprised. I, I, I would bet money that in two weeks, Gail and Rupp and Alberto Salazar would see each other. I just kind of almost thought there'd be more contact. So I mentioned, you know, I mentioned that. Some people were like, maybe Salazar had the poor report released to make him look better. I mean, like all these crazy, people love effing conspiracy theories. So, and I love them too from time to time. But I, I don't actually buy that. And I'm curious, why is Robert, now he's back out of the bathroom, but John, why does he keep going in the bathroom? He could just kind of... Like, you know, you're talking to your family at the airport. You really have to raise your voice in a podcast, Robert. You better sit there because what if Robert forgets when his flight is and misses it? Actually, I am back in the bathroom. You take care of some business. That's why I've blacked out my camera. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, John, he'll be silenced for a f- Use your imagination, people. <laughs> a few minutes, um, my God. Okay. Where, where were we? <laughs> We're talking about Salazar. I think we should get back to our Olympic preview, which we kind of left in the, the the men's 400. This Shall we return to that? This one, pretty open event, actually, I think. Because going, like, as soon as Michael Norman won NCAAs in 2018, I'm just like, this guy's going to break the world record and win the next Olympic title. You know, he's that good. And it has not been smooth sailing since then. He finally won USA. Well, finally, he's still, you know, in his early 20s. But he won USA's. But that didn't look great when you came over and raced in Hungary. I think him and Steven Gardner are probably about co-favorites. Gardner did have that strange DNF in Texas earlier this year. And then after that, Anthony Zambrano. I mean, Wade Van Niekirk, is he healthy? He has run 44 or something this year, but you know his injury status is a big question mark. The only guy under 44 seconds this year is Randolph Ross, who looked kind of cooked in the trials, but it's also because he had NCAAs the week before and a bunch of races in the 400 and the 4x4. So maybe he's back in shape. I think it's either Gardner or, or Norman, though. I think those are the two favorites, but this event's pretty wide open, especially for a sprint event. I mean, sometimes the 100, you're really not sure what's going to go on, but the 400, you kind of know. It's wide open. And there's a lot of question marks about Michael Norman. I mean, he's run so fast, but he's never made a world's final. So... He did well at the trials, and he goes over to Europe and doesn't run well. Jet lag, you know, what does that mean? Should be a great one. Look, no, look, look, I need to say something about this. You guys are selling. Gardner hasn't lost a 400 finish, heard a race that he's finished in like two, three or four years or something like that. I think he is the favorite, but you're selling Wayne Van Nieker totally short. This guy is the world record holder. He's the defending champion, and he's done something that a lot of people don't get credit for. What is Mo Farah? Safan Hassan and Wade Van Niekert have in common. They've all moved totally across the world to pursue their craft. And not a lot of people are willing to do that. He's all in. He wants to, I think, run a 42-second 400. 
Does that mean he's going to win? No, but I think it would not shock me if he did. I think Gardner and Van Niekerk have better odds than me than Norman. Well, it does worry me that Wade Van Niekerk, he's run two 400s this year, 44 on 44. 2020, he ran three, didn't break 45 in any of them. 2019, he ran one, 47. He didn't run at all in 2018. I mean, he just, he's had these little hiccups with his injuries. You know, I remember the Adidas Boston Boost games. He pulls off in that race. Like, his health has just been a humongous question mark ever since that ACL injury in 2017. And if he was healthy, yes. Hell yeah, I'd be giving him credit. I give him credit for persevering through all these injuries. But it's, I don't think he's nearly as reliable as Gardner or Norman. And Gardner and Norman aren't exactly reliable. Well, Norman isn't exactly reliable himself. All right, hurdles. Humongous favorite in the 110 hurdles, Grant Holloway. Don't think we need to say anything else. If, if he... You know, he can hit a hurdle or something. Something hap- Things happen in the hurdles, but he's the big favorite. Women's 100 hurdles is Jasmine Camacho-Quinn or Kenny Harrison. They're really kind of been the two untouchable ones. Both of the, I, don't, I don't think they've raced yet this, e- this season. They're both undefeated uh, if you don't count, you know, full starts. But Camacho-Quinn has been running the faster times. I think they were teammates, the University of Kentucky. Be pretty impressive if Kentucky could go 1-2 in that race. Um, those are sort of the high hurdles. Do you guys have anything else to add on those? Yes, yes. The rumor, the rumor. I've got to go, guys, soon. If you want to hear my predictions, my picks, sign up for the daily podcast, let'srun.com slash subscribe. But there's a hot rumor on the message board that a U.S. 110-meter hurdler has tested positive. It's considering that two of the members of the team were on John's flight. That would be bad news because he's one of my favorite people in track and field. Robert, you don't even need to go there. So people are saying Grant Holloway's all over Instagram. He's in Tokyo already. There's Team USA within the last five hours put a picture of him out. So this rumor to me just doesn't seem to be accurate. I watched the video of this rumor. It was, first of all, it was a total waste of nine minutes. It's just some guy saying, oh my God, this big, th- I can't believe this thing that he doesn't even talk about at all in the whole thing. Is happening. He's like, if you, you heard it here first, he doesn't say a thing in the whole entire video. Um, and then someone like took a screenshot or something and they said, oh, it said 110 hurdles. Well, that might have been one of the non-American. He was talking about two positive tests for COVID or for his performance enhancing substance. I don't even know. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Holloway thing, I don't know, maybe it, I can't definitively say it's not true, but I don't think it's even worth speculating at this point. Okay, yeah. In regards to this rumor, it's not some random guy on Twitter. The, it's called Ray's TV. I guess we can put a link to it or the, put a link to the thread. It's from Ray Edwards. He ran 100 meters for the U.S. He made the world teams. He's run 10 flat. So he's not some random guy. He says, oh, big positive. He also says there's a positive on the Jamaican team, the Jamrock team, I think is what he calls them. But he says, oh, a U.S. A big person's been positive he doesn't say more than that but at one point the sluice realized he slashes his phone and you can see something about 110 hurdles on his phone so to like speculate about the name or anything that's crazy but this shows you know this guy tweeted how he went hot on let's run the sprinters they're on let's run but also they're doing the same thing all the distance running fans are doing talking about doping whether someone's doping whether somebody got popped it's just a key part of the underground of the sport or background of the sport in the elite circles. 
One last thing, since y'all were talking about Twitter before I get on this plane. We've got to put in the show notes. The celebrations of the games, the best celebrations have already been, awards have been handed out. The best celebration for a coach is an Australian swim coach who went absolutely nuts when his athlete beat Katie Ledecky. We'll have that in the show notes. And the best family team celebration is when the Alaskan swimmer, the entire town was there at some convention hall. They went nuts. Check it out in the show notes. Amazing links. All right, everyone. Safe travels. See you in Tokyo. All right. See you in Tokyo, Robert. Okay. Well, then we got to land this plane. 400 hurdles. I mean, again, I think we've talked about these events pretty much all year. We Everyone kind of knows what's up. It's going to be – it's a two-horse race in both races. It's probably going to take a world record to win both races. Two of the most exciting races of the games. Custom Warhol versus Ry Benjamin in the men's 400 hurdles, Sidney McLaughlin versus Dalila Muhammad in the women's 400 hurdles. I'm betting on the world record holders to win each of these races. Can you convince me otherwise? No, if I had to bet even money, that's who I'm, I'm taking. I think Warholm's slightly favored, uh, less so probably, than McLaughlin. I think she's more likely to win. Delilah Muhammad, like, she's run great. She set the world record twice last year. She beat Sydney twice last year to win. 2019. Yeah, 2019. And she really stepped up her game at the trials. I mean, because she was way behind Sydney earlier in the season. So there's a chance she could do it, but she has more ground to make up. Um, but she was beating her, you know, at the Olympic trials over like what hurdle nine or something. So there's a chance the men's race. I think Warholm's, yeah, I mean, he's a world record. He's got to be the favorite. He's also used to kind of racing, time trialing, just going all out. He runs hard from the beginning. So I think the lack of fans actually may not be, I mean, all these guys may not affect too much, but an empty stadium, you got to factor in. So I like his chances as well. You honestly think the empty stadium is going to have any effect on any race, the outcome of any race? I don't know. Some of these gymnasts are saying it affects them. But um, yeah, I'm sort, I'm, sort, I'm sort of trying to figure this out actually with the timing. I know the 400 meter hurdles, the finals in the morning. So it's, it's interesting to see always what events they pick to show primetime in the US. So I think McLaughlin's race might be it. I think the mixed relay actually, or that's going to be taped on TV for the. Okay, it's in the morning, but it's going to be taped for TV. Um, but I don't know if any other major sprint event is being run in the morning in Tokyo. So it can be live primetime in the U S but they've done that for a lot of the swimming events. Uh, I'm pretty sure that one of the hurdles, high hurdles finals is in the morning as well. Oh, you're right, John. The women's 100 meter hurdle final is in the morning. I guess originally they thought they would have, uh, Kenny Harrison versus Brianna McNeil. <laughs> Oops. But, hey, Puerto Rico, it's part of the U.S., baby. We still should have two Americans battling in that one. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about the doping. Oh, the men's 110-meter hurdle final is also in the morning. We talk about all the people who aren't here. We've talked about this before. I forgot that Kenya has two world championships currently, you know, serving suspensions in Elijah Manningoy and Asbel Kiprop. Neither of them are the, are the Olympics, too. So uh, Kiprop's getting a little older, but that's kind of something we forget about uh, because they've just been away from the sport for a couple of years at this point. Yep. All right. Let's get on to the 800. I don't know why we're going event by event. We should have said who's just most likely to medal, this blah, blah, blah. 
But women's 800 meters, this is my event. The distance runner most likely to medal for America, or most likely to win gold, I perhaps should say. Medal, I'm not quite as positive. Ethang Mo, world leader, obviously U.S. leader, collegiate freshman at Texas A&M this year. So she's never been on this stage before, but it's kind of crazy, especially as good as the U.S. women are. Raven Rogers won the silver medal at the last Worlds. Ajay Wilson's been the best non-DSD female hunter runner of the last decade, and she got bronze at the last Worlds. They're also in this race, but it's Ajay's to lose, in my opinion. Ajay's to lose? No, excuse me. I'm, I think just totally uh, blanked there. Just, I mean, she is yeah, a... John, I'm impressed. It's like... How many hours have you slept at all today in Tokyo? You got there at three. I thought you wouldn't make it. It's a, it's after midnight there, and you're still up. It's after one a.m. Yeah, I've slept very little over the last forty eight hours. Um, yeah, I mean, well, we can give more detailed previews of these events, like when they come up on our daily podcast. I don't think we need to go through all of the distance events in excruciating detail as much as I would like to. I do have to sleep at some point, but like, okay, women's eight hundred. I think you're right. Yeah, it's a thing most race to lose, but. There are women who can beat her. You know, if a thing Mo run like here's the thing. I think a thing Mo can reach a level that no one else in this field can reach. I think she could even even go up a level from the trials where she ran one of fifty six oh seven, which is the fastest time in the world this year. But if she's not like that, I mean she's nineteen, then Gemma Riki can win it. Keely Hodgkinson, the nineteen year old British champion, she closed very hard in that British trials. She's got a shot. I'm kind of writing off Rosemary Almanza and Natoya Gaul. Uh, just Gaul's someone who she'll go out hard, but I don't know if she's really going to be able to close out a gold medal. And then Rosemary Almanza, she's 29. She hasn't done anything until this point. And now she's suddenly going to come out of nowhere and win gold. I mean, I guess Halima Nakai came out of nowhere and won gold in 2019, but I don't really see it. I am keeping my eye on Melissa Bishop Nariagu. She's been running really well this year. Uh, coming back from pregnancy and was fourth at the last Olympics, the first non-DSD athlete. Yeah, so you just named about like 10 athletes who have a chance and you dismissed like two of the people with the top seeds. But my takeaway is, you know, the last worlds, I have to go look up her name every single time. Halima Nakai, she won worlds and nobody like pretty much knew who she was. So this is sort of one event it's kind of wide open. I mean, I think a thing most definitely the favorite, but there's not the caster Semenya dominance that, that there once was. Maybe, maybe, maybe a thing could take it to that level, but right there, that's not there. I think the big question where Mark is like for the U S Ajay Wilson, what can she do? Can she raise her game? My thinking is I like the order of the trials. I think Raven, I like Raven's chances better than Ajay's and I like things better than Raven's. And nothing's changed. Ajay has the pedigree in the past, but she's she's clearly behind the ball. She's making up for lost time. And okay, maybe if her ceiling was much higher than everybody's, but a thing just ran one fifty six. So I don't think Ajay's ceiling is higher than a thing. So how how do you catch up? You know, if if she was head and shoulders better than a thing, it's like okay, well she can catch up by the, by the games. But I don't think it's going to happen, which is unfortunate because I think. I mean, this is where people say these sort of things. All these DSD athletes, these are intersex women. They took a bunch of medals 
away from Ajay Wilson is one way to look at it. Or you could say they rightfully earned him. But if she, they weren't in the race, Ajay Wilson would be a superstar in America as much as one could be in track and field distance ranks. Instead, most of America has no idea who she is. Yeah. And I, I've i said on this podcast before, I think World Athletics did the right thing in creating these DSD rules. Ajay Wilson clearly is the athlete who's been most impacted by it uh, in terms of women who are still eligible to compete. Obviously, those DSD athletes have been most impacted, but she would be a world champion outdoors. She'd be a two-time world indoor champion. Uh, it'd be very different. I think she, at this point, she may have missed her window. I mean, maybe she comes back strong next year. I, she's still, you know, she's still got a few years ahead of her, but Mo and Rogers are both younger than her. 2019 was the year. That's when everything looked like it was coming together for Ajay and she didn't get it done in Doha. And now, you know, she's, She's got a lot of work to do between the trials and the Olympics to turn it around. Well, then I want to talk medal odds. You mentioned a thing, Mo. You think she's the best gold medal bet for the United States in a mid-D or distance event. I agree with you. What about medal odds in general, though? Who Can you give me give me your top five in order? Have you thought that far ahead? Um, okay. Thing, Mo, number one. or Emma Coburn. Well, that's the one where I'm a little split. I think a thing has a better chance to win the gold than Cope. Well, I don't know. Coburn's got a good chance too. No, I think Mo definitely has a better shot at gold. Come on. Who's head and shoulders above Emma this year? I mean, Kiang has beaten her. Chepkowicz just beat her in the last race. I mean, Chepkowicz still beat her in that race. Oh yeah, yeah, they kicked early. Like th- that's not the other, but. A thing Mo so far was head and sh- I mean, maybe right. not head and shoulders okay. above, but she's clearly above the 800 field, and Emma Coburn is not clearly above the steeple field. Okay, so you're gonna you're reaffirming my logic. Mo Coburn, Raven Rogers, and then do, do I say like Purier ahead of Ajay Wilson? I'm, I'm going set, you know, treating each sex separately. Um, so that's the only way I can get to five. I can't get above five on the women's side. I don't. Is there anyone else I'm missing? No. I well, I had the same top three in that order. I had Mo Coburn and Rogers. I had Paria fourth, and then my fifth woman. I mean, I did this actually men and women combined, and I think the four athletes with the best chance to medal are all women. That's just how how it works out. Because my fifth woman was Courtney Frerichs, and I had several men ahead of her. But if you look at the men and women. Okay, so I had a thing, Mo, Emma Coburn, Raven Rogers, Ellie Purrier. Then I had the first man, male name on my list was Clayton Murphy, followed by Paul Chalimo, Matthew Centrowitz, and Cole Hawker. Wow. I, I literally have a list written down here. It's the exact same order for the men. And I'm, if I'm like, oh, if I had to go across sexes, where would I f- slot Murphy in? I'd probably put him ahead of Purrier, but I'm not sure. So yeah, we're not that far off. Um, but it's kind of crazy because if you go back, what, 2004, no Olympic distance medals. We had two in the marathon, but on the track. 2008. Can you remember an American did medal at that games? It was Flanagan. Correct. Um, and the 10K. And Goucher, like getting a medal with... Uh, at the worlds before that was a big deal. I think that was it, right? And then 2012, I have no idea what we did. Two medals. We did two. Who were those? 
both on the men's side. You can come on. You can remember big men's events. Oh, um, oh, Leo. Yeah. Our password for the long time, and let's run if you can figure this one out. It actually, still is. We had to update something, and Leo Manzano, you're back being a major password, and let's run. And major event. Let's see. This was a very probably the most famous distance race of London. Well, actually, no, second most famous. I'd say the 800. No, they got fourth. Second most famous. Second most famous. Super Saturday. Oh my gosh! How could I forget? Galen Rupp, Alberto Salazar calling me Rojo in the mix zone. Wow, I forgot about that. So that was it. Only two in in um, London. Then we had. Se- I'm not going to make you name all seven from Rio, but it was- seven in Rio. That's crazy. So it really shows. You know, we don't give enough credit. We like people. It's very easy to be the critic, but the shoe companies, the New York Roadrunners. I don't know, running USA, they kind of invested in these groups and it did make long-term dividends. Um, so seven last time, we're not going to, I don't, seven would be shocking this time. I think we might, I think five would be pretty good. Five would be excellent. Five's a lot. Yeah. I mean, how many did they have in 2019 at the Worlds? You had Coburn in the steeplechase. You had Donovan Brazier in the 800. You had Wilson and you had Raven Rogers. Was that it? You're the Jeopardy contestant, John. Yeah. I, they didn't meddle in the 5K or 10K. They didn't meddle in the 1500. So that was only four? So it was four. Yeah, I think five would be tremendous. Um, I I feel pretty confident about three. Um, with two in the 800 and one in the steeple. So should be pretty crazy. But we're talking about three medals for the United States of America. And Safan Hassan could get three medals by herself. This will be one of the huge storylines at the Olympics. It looks like now she's going to try the triple. Because the way it works, the 15 is first, right? And then the 5 and then the 10? Or did I reverse the 5 and the 15? Okay, well, I looked up. The women's 5K starts first on the 30th. The 15th starts um, the next day. But, but there's a lot more overlap. For whatever reason... We, oh, no, we said all along the 510 was the easiest double for her to do. But if she wants to do the 15, she then has to take on 5th Kip Yegon, who who destroyed her recently in the Diamond League in Europe. I mean, it was a tremendous race. But she ran, what, 351? I mean, that was crazy. But Safana San is the woman who won the 10K and the 1500 at the last World Championships. She was formerly coached by Alberto Salazar. And I want to see her go for greatness. She sort of alludes to it's not just about getting a gold medal. It's about you know trying to be great and trying to do something no one's ever done before would be great. I would love to see it. This will be the greatest accomplishment in the history of women's distance running. Are we in agreement if she won all three? Hundred percent. I mean, especially the people she has to beat. I mean, it would be just crazy. I view this. Here's my comparison: 2017 NCAA indoors when Chesarek entered the mile, 3K, and 5K, and I think we're going to get the same outcome. Well, I guess her running tired. If she, she, I mean, the 10K final, she'd have to run it the day after the 15 final. It's just so it's so tough to bounce back from that, especially because. 
15 Scott Kipyugon. But if you remember that meet, Cesarek won the 3K and 5K, but he got destroyed by Josh Kerr over the last 600 in the mile. And I think we're going to see something similar here. I think Kipyugon can win. Sorry, I think Hassan can win the 5K and 10K, will be favored, especially if she's only doing those two. Even in the fifth, if she does all three, I think she'd probably still be the favorite. And I think she'll win those two, but I think she'll get destroyed by Kipigon in the 15. But the thing is, if she tries all three, I mean, this is how this is how freaking impossible this thing is, all right? In the 15, she's got Kipigon. In the 5K, she's got Gudolf Sagai, who's run 353 this year and 14-13. And then in the 10K, her last race of the games, guess who's the day after the 1500 final, she has to face the world record holder fresh, Latessa Mbet Gide. And in Doha, she was able to kick away from Gide. But if Gide just goes out and tries to run like 28.50 in this race, which I think she could do, Hassan's going to be so tired at that point. I just think it's really hard. I could see Hassan cratering if Gide just tries to run a world record. Yeah, this is epic because, I don't know, you sort of play that in your head in like three golds, and she could easily get no golds. I mean, she's got to race Gudaf Sagay in the, in the 5K. That'd be her first one. Maybe she's favored there. I, I think she is. But with the 1,500 rounds under her belt, maybe not. She's the underdog in the 1,500, regardless, fresh. And then the 10K, Gide's run in um, Doha was like one of the greatest. If Hassan wasn't in that race, we'd be like, oh my God, this is one of the most unbelievable best 10Ks ever in the history run. Since then, she's gone out and broken the world record. So it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, I already, I already have a lot of respect for Hassan. And even if she only runs two events, it's still pretty tough, If she, especially if she could win both, which I think she would if she does a 5K10. But yeah, for the, for the most interesting thing to follow as a fan, definitely it's chasing the triple. And uh, I think she kind of wants to do it too. The 10K final for the men, it's on the first day. So, well, the first day in Tokyo, second day in the U.S., because it'll be Friday morning in the United States. And I think we need to talk about this one because it's it's the first final we'll have by next week's podcast we'll pro- for the regular people. Oh, and our apologies. If you're an app, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use because there was an issue with Apple. And I'm not sure if everybody didn't get it or non-subscribers didn't get it, but like this was an Apple issue. It had nothing to do with us because it was on every other platform. But you know, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcast, we're on Amazon Alexa, anything you listen to podcasts. So if you don't see the podcast, the regular one comes out every Wednesday for sure. Look for it elsewhere. But I think we got to talk about the 10K men's final a bit because this event's been dominated by Haile Gabriel Selassie. And then it was dominated by Knesset Bekele. And then it was dominated by Mo Farah. And they're all gone. All these great multiple-time champions. And so you got the world record holder, Joshua Chepchagai. You got Jacob Kafimo, also from Uganda, who, I mean, he's run very good at 3K. I mean, he's beaten Jakob Ingebrigtsen at 3K. He's also the world half-marathon champion. So that range says, hey, you're... Just perfectly suited for the 10K. Oh gosh, the Ethiopian cha- team I think is changing, but I think I think the 10K is pr- pretty set. Um, Selim Borega, Yomif Kajelcha. Kajelcha got the silver at the world's 
last time, former Alberto Salazar athlete, very well known to U.S. athletes. Um, Cam Wurr is out. You know, New York City Marathon champ, World Cross Country champ, he's out. So the Kenyan hopes are with Rogers Quimoy. Um, and I don't know, John. What is is just is just the Ethiopians versus the Kenyans? Do you, I mean, excuse me, versus the Ugandans? You give the Kenyans a chance. Woody Kincaid for the win. Uh, I mean. Well, if it's really hot and humid and the pace goes slow, you know, Woody Kincaid and Grant Fisher, they can they can kick. Uh, I still think it's unlikely they medal, of course, but I think it's, yeah, it's Ethiopia against Uganda. As Rogers Kwemai was fourth in 2019, but Jacob Giblimo wasn't in that race. Selman Borrego wasn't in that race. I just don't think he, I think, I don't think he's good enough to set a pace fast enough to drop everyone. I don't think anyone is in this race. And then it becomes a matter of, you know, and the problem for uh guy who's closed in 55 to win the worlds in 2019. That was a 2648 race. Well, guess what? We had a 2648 race, the Ethiopian trials and Spareka and Kajelcha both closed in 52, which, all right, maybe they have better spikes, uh, you know, not totally sure what spikes they're wearing in 2019. That's absurd. That's ridiculous closing speed. So it's great. Like it's crazy. After he broke the world record last year, I'm like, all right, Chepta guy, he's going to win the 10 K. He's going to, you know, he wants to be the greatest of all time. He could now do the 5 K 10 K double. Now I'm thinking it's possible. He doesn't even medal in this race. This is how loaded it is. But I, lo- I really like Kip Limo. I just think Kip Limo, he's got that range. He's the world half marathon champion. He outkicked Jakob Ingebrigtsen in a 3K. He outkicked Borrega last year in a great 5K. He ran 26-33 this year with a big negative split. He hasn't raced a ton, but I just think his potential is so great. I'm going to go Kip Limo for the win. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's my pick right now, but I think it's good that we're not sure what's going to happen. And also that these time trialists, they're super shoes. They're not necessarily favored. It's a tactical race. So, I don't know. I like it. It's bringing a little uncertainty to the sport, which we need. I see intern Carl is here, so we're going to have our social media update. But one, I want to say one more thing about the Olympics, because, John, we were saying there were no coaches there. And then you see these kind of private swim coaches. I'm like, oh, maybe they're the official Australian coach. And... I reached out to Dathan Ritzenhain. We followed some of the on-athletes in the lead-up to the trials, and Dathan's got Alicia Monson made the team. Let's see. Joe Klecker made the team from the U.S. Ollie Hoare is on Ollie the team. Ollie Hoare from Australia, 1500. Morgan McDonald just joined. He's running for Australia. So Dathan was texting me about Morgan. I'm like, Morgan? I was thinking of a girl. And I'm like, oh, wait, Morgan McDonald from Australia is on the team. And Alicia, the uh, steeplechaser from Poland, is on the team. You know, you can, you can get away not saying Polish last names are too difficult to pronounce. Konizek, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I ask Ritz, I'm like, wait, you know, give me an update on the team because I think people kind of got to know some of these athletes because we interviewed him thanks to on. And and I'm like, are you in Tokyo? Because he said he was. And he's like, yes. Um, USATF tried pretty hard to get us access. There was an order of tiers, but I would say most distance coaches are here. I commend USATF for really doing what they can in the situation. 
I still can't go into the stadium to watch the race, but at least we're able to be at the warm-up track and training facilities. And just ask him to give an update on the team. Both Joe and Alicia Monson, it's their first major championship in their first years of pros. Both have trained great since the trial, so I think top eight is a great goal. Being smart in the race is important, but in the 10K, you still have to stay in the moment at the major champ, so it's easy to have a bad day. But they are both healthy and fit. Ollie, Morgan, and Alicia, the Polish steeplechaser, I don't know if I'll be able to see them, really. So it's interesting, like, because they're not part of the U.S., like, he maybe has no access to them. Um, have to wait on getting passes from their federations. But all are here and fit, always trained, great and focused. Making the final of 1500 is hard, but he's strong and ready. Uh, Alicia, the steeplechaser, making the final will be great at race as well. She's trained well these last few races. So I think it's great the coaches are there, but I'm sort of shocked, John. They can go to a practice track, but you can't go watch them compete in a 80,000 empty stadium. Like, that's kind of crazy. Um, I still have this hope somehow they'll let fans in for the last week of the Olympics. Japan's doing very well. Maybe people get pissed off, demand it, or at least people turn out in the streets on the marathon. We told with the celebration of the week with the Aussie coach, that's an indoor venue and he's allowed in there, but Nathan Ritzenheim can't watch his athletes. I guess he doesn't have any gold medal favorites, but just seems like a double standard, especially it's an outdoor stadium. There's so much room, but I talked to Danny Mackey and he's like, yeah, I'm not going like, you just don't have very good access to these guys you know, it doesn't, it's not really, doesn't make a ton of sense for him to go. If he can't get in the stadium, he doesn't get to really see his athletes. That's kind of crazy. And I think the Australian guy, he might be the head Australian coach. Cause think of in track, you're going to have like, if you have 40 private coaches, but what's it's, it's 80,000 stadium. What in 40 private coaches? Uh, Cause I, I, the one thing I like, I hear during gymnastics and swimming, people are clapping. It's like the teammates and stuff. We need a few people in a big stadium. It's going to sound really weird. Is there more Tokyo track? We haven't, you know, I think we didn't do men's steeple. The marathons, obviously, we'll have time to talk about next week. Any more big points you want to take? No, well, then it's 1.30. I've barely slept. I need to get to bed. You can bring on intern Carl. He'll give us the social media scoop. We'll preview the other events. We'll recap them as they go on from Tokyo. But I'm going to sign off and get some shut-eye. Wait, intern Carl, you've not heard the podcast Get, either give us like one question for John about Tokyo or any your one biggest thought on like Olympic track. We sort of branch previewed all the events, so I don't, those are two different very directions to go. Carl, big pressure. Where are you going? Well, Rojo told me that uh, that on Monday, or maybe it was Weldon that told me that on Monday in your uh, meeting, John, you were bullish on Josh Kerr. So since I was going to bring him up first anyway, are, do you think he can somehow get a medal or, or get on top of that podium? I, I wasn't here for the uh, for the preview of the men's 1500. What are you thinking about him? I think he's going to medal. I mean, part of me wants to write a preview picking him for the win, just saying crazy things happen in the 15. We've seen upsets in this event before. I mean... No one thought McLuffy was going to win in 2012. Centro was a big upset. Peter Rono in 88. Noah Yen in 2000. I mean, this kind of thing happens. It only takes one bad race or one great race. And Kerr is just running so well. I mean, I told these guys earlier, Danny Mackey told me he thinks he's in 327 shape. He's running 22 second 200s in practice. I mean, his skill set's phenomenal. I, and I've, I saw Kyle Moe's newsletter had him listed as a plus 4,000. I kind of want to bet money on that. Like, you know, I could turn a hundred dollars into 4,000 right there, betting money on Josh Kerr. So I kind of, th- I think he will medal and I kind of think he can win. 
Yeah, I was able to talk to him at the Sunset Tour meet. He didn't race there, but he had, I mean, we saw a ridiculous workout from him the day before running 55.8 and then 50.5 and an 800. And, you know, he beat a 143, 144, 800 guy and Jake Whiteman to win the British title. But, you know, those are speed things. And so is running a 22 second 200 in practice. But this is also a guy, remember, who ran, was it, wasn't it the American soil record in the 1500 running 331? Uh, from the front and beating everyone by four or five seconds. So I don't know. I, are we are we overselling him? I guess we'll find out. If if Chariot runs three twenty seven and kicks everyone's butt, then that's one thing. Uh, but but I'm excited to see it as well. Fifteen hundred and Kerr said it himself. He's basically like anything can happen in a fifteen hundred. I've got to be prepared for whatever. Do we need to? Put, should we play the audio? Carl can, but we can let John get some sleep first. We maybe. already played the audio earlier in the podcast. Well then. No, 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 not that audio, John. Where Josh Kerr confirmed one, he talks about Centro's mile attempt in the American American record mile attempt, and also he confirms he's not the fake Josh Kerr. If you're still listening to the podcast this late and you're not a regular, we've had a great caller call in pretending to be Josh Kerr, fake Josh Kerr. He's great, and then Josh Kerr's career is taken off simultaneously. Coincidence? I think not. All right. Well, you can play that for Carl. I'm going to get off Weldon because, you know, it's past my bedtime here in Tokyo. So have a good rest of the podcast. I'll catch up on it when I wake up. In the middle of the night, John, if you wake up and need to eat, you just sneak past that security guard. Actually, don't. Don't get arrested. We want you at the track. We want you at the track, John. Yeah. I just got my credential validated. I'm not going to get taken away. So, all right. Bye, guys. Later. Good night, John. All right, well, then do we want to play the audio? Yeah, I also asked asked her about what he thought about Centrowitz's American record attempt. And I don't know if you guys have brought that up yet as well. And he basically said, I don't know, we could play the audio if you'd like. So this is Josh Kerr when I asked him uh, what he thought of Centrowitz's American record attempt in the mile and whether or not he watched it. Look, I think, you know, for anyone to call a shot and try and run something that quick, it's it's a tough thing to do overall. I, I know how hard that is. It, I think it was a very, very tall order for him to run 346, um, regardless if he was in the shape for it or not, like not having help with the last 600 to go. Uh, yeah, I watched it. Um, it was great to, for him to have that crowd out there, and he looks like he's fit. Am I intimidated? No. But if he ran 346, would I be intimidated? No. It's not, I don't really get intimidated very easily, but... No, fair play to him for calling his shot and going for it. Like, you know, I'm not going to roast a guy for, for getting some excitement around the distance. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's a tall order to run 346, especially with the, the last part on his own. Yeah, so there you have it. Kerr basically gave Centrowitz props for, for giving it an attempt, but said that he wouldn't have been intimidated even if Centro had run 346 American records. So no trash talk there from him. I, I think Kerr's also said that he respects Centro. Uh, but it's, yeah, I mean, 349, you have to think that there are a number of guys in that race who can run 349, and some of them have already done it this year. So 349 is not scaring any of the top guys. I don't know if 346 would. You have to think that the Chariot or Ingebrigtsen could run that as well. Uh, but it was fun to talk to Kerr, and he also said that he is not, in fact, the fake Josh Kerr. And, you know, I said I thought that the Scottish accent sounded a little bit too fake, and I think he agreed with that as well. Yeah, I don't know my Scottish accents. I don't know if it's good or bad or what, but fake Josh Kerr. Probably getting nervous. You need to call in, give us an Olympic update. Yeah, and Kerr also said that his uh, it was his 
probably his last big effort before the trials or before uh, the Olympics with that, that 800 workout where he ran 146. Um, but he's, he's fit and ready to go and I'm excited to watch him race. And, you know, we sent you to the sunset tour meet. Well, you kind of volunteered yourself, which we appreciate, but you're working late. I mean, I know there's some very strict labor laws in California. I'm not really aware what they are, so I don't want to get any trouble, but like, you know, you went to the meet, the meet ended late. You drove home. I woke up, and I'm pretty sure I got a, like a text from you, like 3 a.m. California time. So good work, good work. But you know, don't report us. Don't report us. Yeah, well, I, like you said, I volunteered myself to do it, and you know, voluntarily stayed up that late getting the getting the recap done. Um, but it was cool. I hadn't like been to a, a big track meet like that in a while since I've raced anyway. Uh, so to just be there and, you know, track so accessible, I could just walk up to everyone, got to talk to Joseph Norris and Constance Klosterhalfen and, and someone like Josh Kerb. So it was exciting to be there, a decent crowd on hand. Uh, but yeah, lots of fun. And yeah, why don't we move on to a few different things on social media real quick before we call it a show. And I know we're not letsprint.com. Uh, but there are a few interesting things from sprinters on Twitter in the last week. And so I guess that we can kind of talk about some sprint events in Tokyo as well. Noah Lyles said on the 24th, best practice ever, and then responds to that PR or bust, which I thought was interesting because when I was doing the prediction contest and looking through the men's 200, I was like, oh, we got the three American guys, two of whom ran 19.7. You know, Knighton could make noise. DeGrasse is always good. But otherwise, like, I don't expect a ton from that 200 final. You know, they're not going to approach any records. Maybe somebody runs 19.6 or even 19.5, but but not a ton of storylines. Lyles is the favorite. And then he says... PR or bust? I, I do you think that's ridiculous, Weldon? That he could run, you know, his PR is nineteen five zero, and we haven't seen anything near that this year. But if he peaks at the right time, I mean, a nineteen four from him would be pretty ridiculous in Tokyo. It's crazy because I went and started to look up uh, what his PR was. I mean, way back because this mark stood forever. The world record was nineteen thirty two until Michael Johnson beat it. And Noah Lyles was just has just been crushing everybody at the two hundred. So for me to think like, oh, can he get closer to that? Yes, this year I still think there's a lot of question marks about him. But he raised his game at the trials, you know, get beats and gets beat in the semis, and I'm like, oh, he's not the favorite for the finals. Goes out and wins the finals. He's lost, I think, one Diamond League ever. He's pr- pretty much been untouchable at two hundred. So it really is crazy not not to pick against him. He needs a PR. The sport needs him to PR. NBC needs him to PR at the trials. He's been talked up so much. I mean, maybe a PR won't mean much because Bolt's records are so far out there. But, you know, he's a showman. For him to get a PR, that would be great. Uh, I can't doubt him. And he did it on, he said, July 24th, which is Founder's Day, Founder's Day. Letron.com. It's my birthday. So I think that's cool. I was I was concerned about him. I mean, he still only won the trials by four hundredths of a second. Like Kenny Begnerick has been close to him all year, but just hasn't been able to beat him. 
so I don't know. I'm also excited to see Joseph Fonbele race, NCAA champion uh, from Florida, who is running for Liberia. The guy with the really long stride length and, and crazy final 100 gets out of the block slow. Uh, but we haven't seen him since NCAAs as well. So it's kind of unfair to expect a ton from him. Um, but I'm excited to see him in that event as well. But yeah, I think we're going to need to see something fast, you know, 19.5 range for this 200 final to really, you know, turn the needle for anyone. Yeah, I mean, it should be a good one. I mean, Fonboe, I'm pretty sure he's American because we were asking him why he wasn't aired in the trials and he said more would come out, out about that at NCAAs. But this is one of those instances because the top three of the trials were so close and he's clearly at that level. Um, it's probably best that he ran for Liberia because, I mean, from a pure fan standpoint, I want the best guys at the Olympics. Yeah, absolutely. And he... Yeah, his PR is not his PR wouldn't have made the team. Oh, good point. And so I see also you have something here about the 200 400 Shani Miller Weibo. We kind of talked about it earlier, but is she doing the double? The great Michael Johnson chimed in about her. Yeah, and he and we just mentioned him, but he obviously the master of the 200 400 double, but if I remember correctly, the schedule was kind of set up for him to do it in Atlanta versus Miller Weibo. It's not. And, you know, she's virtually, you know, I would say she's virtually locked to win the 400 because there are, you know, so many of the top women are out with the Namibian women, you know, not being able to compete. Athing Mo is obviously not running the 400. The fastest women in the world this year are not here. Salwaid Nasser's out. So the problem is the 200 is first. So, Michael Johnson points out if she does it, she'd have to run the first round of the 400 in the morning and then the 200 final that evening and the 200, she's not the favorite to win. Like there are so many good women in there with, you know, the Americans, Gabby Thomas and Jenna Prandini and the Jamaicans. So I don't know. What do you, what do you make of this? Do you think if you were her coach, you would give it a shot or you go for, you know, the almost guaranteed Olympic gold in the 400? I think I'd give it a shot because she's, Coming into the year, said, look, I can't do the double. They didn't make the schedule good for me. I'm just going to do the two. Her medal chances, I mean, are questionable in the 200. Or a gold medal, for sure. But, like, anything could happen there. The 400, she's such a strong, strong favorite for the gold medal. So, I think she has to do the 400. And I think, I don't think running the 200 before will we'll mess her up that much. Um, and then for the 200... Like, is a 400 in the morning going to mess up her final chances that much more? They weren't that great to begin with. I think she'll probably do both. Yeah, I think so, too. Because even if she's, you know, a little bit tired, I think she has a day off in there from the two. I think she can still get it done in the four. I mean, the, the Americans have a decent team in the four, and so do the Jamaicans. But nobody is quite on her level of running, you know, low 49 seconds in the 48-second range. So, yeah, I think that she could get the four the win in the four, no matter what happens in the two. And I think that she will give that a shot. Um, but just interesting. It's, it's not a super common double two four, just like four, eight is not a super common double. So it's exciting to see, you know, hopefully it'll be exciting to see an athlete attempt that as well. So yeah, that's enough sprinting. And the last thing I just wanted to bring up is I, an interesting and, and funny tweet from Mason Furlick, uh, the American steeplechaser who said, I did such a good job babysitting Hobbs all season. USATF decided to room me with Hawker at the Olympics. So uh, Mason Furlick will be roommates with America's 
you know, golden boy Cole Hawker. So hopefully he takes good care of him there and hopefully neither of them get COVID. Uh, but that was, you know, that's interesting with the athletes having to room together. Their their rooming is limited at the Olympics this year, but yet you'd think COVID wise, they'd want everyone to have their own room, but that's just not, you know, viable with that many athletes. Yeah. It's sort of interesting because I think in the maybe they want to live in the village, and then if you're in the village, you've got to you know follow by the rules. So it's two athletes in a room, I guess. I'm trying to think what I would want to do. I'm just so I'm a like I'm an old guy now. I'm going to room with somebody. Hell, we 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 thought maybe at one point John and Robert would be rooming together, and they got their own rooms in Tokyo. Yet Cole Hawker, one of America's like up and coming stars, having to share a room. But I assume all the athletes have to, which I, I guess makes sense if you want to live in the village. I wonder if living outside of the village was an option. But both these guys are young. They're both first time Olympians. They probably want the full Olympic experience. It'd be, you know, I think Usain Bolt used to live in the village. Some people, it just kind of depends on how you're wired. Um, and with not as much support staff there, I, you know, I don't know. If, I don't even know if living outside on your own is an option. Well, I assume like the Dream Team is doing it, so who knows what how that works? I mean, Ritz is over there, so everybody can't be in the village. Yeah, I just wonder how they pick the room assignments if people choose to live in the village. Like, are they never going to put you with someone who's in your same event? Or are they going to choose to do that if you're USATF because you're technically teammates? I mean, technically, Hawker is, you know, teammates with Matt Centrowitz and Yard Nagus, but uh, maybe they don't want rivals ending up in the same room. If you've been on the Olympics, email me or call. one. As Robert says, call unlike facebook unlike twitter you can call us one eight four four. let's run is the number option seven is the secret voicemail for the podcast i am curious des linden she's an olympian she's a supporters club member maybe we can get in touch with her or ask dina or somebody like yeah how do they room you like all this stuff we don't know the, you know the plebes we don't we don't know how these things work jonathan galto has a, a great article up on the homepage about the call room if you guys haven't read it we'll link to that in the show notes it's great like talks about athletes kind of it's a little area you go before the race sometimes you're in there for 30 minutes sometimes an hour you know athletes are psyching each other out some are nervous some athletes think on the track and like pee in front of other athletes it's kind of crazy um some of the swimming i saw nbc was talking about katie wadecki gets in the, the swimming call room and starts like slapping or thighs and making noise and intimidating people and in track they did this as well maybe even like stuff being flushed down toilets athletes getting upset about it it's pretty crazy available to everybody check it out yeah absolutely read read john's article on that we've we've seen that in swimming they because they have a camera in the call room in swimming like you saw that moment between uh michael phelps and i think chad leclo from south africa that became a meme uh with phelps staring him down because leclo was you know doing all these antics in the call room so nbc we need a camera in the track call room we want to see the crazy stuff that happens and when people get in fights with each other and if anyone knows which steeplechaser peed on the track in rio uh, we'd love to know that as well. Yeah, I still want the Bernard Lagat story. Yeah, that too. Someone someone else pointed out that it was, you know, Lagat's like one of the nicest guys in the sport, so it must have taken a lot to set him off right before a race. Well, rumors he almost got in a fight in the call room with Ramsey. So read the article, check it out. I think that's it, right, Carl? No more. We're going to have tons of social media, I think, coming from the trials because – 
The rules are relaxed. I think it's rule 40, IOC rule 40. Athletes used to be very limited what they could post during the Olympics. They couldn't acknowledge sponsors. Now they can. You know, plus they've been locked in their rooms for a year and a half. Social media has been their outlet. Absolutely. We'll see a lot of athletes are giving us the updates on the beds and other things like that. So we'll get more updates from Tokyo. But uh, if you guys listened all the way through, we appreciate it. Speaking of unfair work conditions, Olympics are going to be tough for those West Coasters. Carl, you're going to, if you're watching stuff live, some of it's going to be at 4 a.m. for you. So, yeah, yeah, I got to get my sleep. I mean, that was part of the condition. That was the one thing you asked me when I got the internship was, can you be up at ridiculous hours of the night for the Olympic events? And I said, absolutely. I'll be up at whatever, 3 a.m. to watch some finals. So I'm ready to go for it. I'm stoked. All right. Well, so am I. Until, well, Friday for some of you guys. Become supporter club members. Join today. You will get the daily podcast, video shows, everything from the trials. And they're not this long. They're not this long. So everyone else, thanks for listening. Rate us on iTunes and make sure you hit subscribe because we had the Apple issue this last week. I think subscribers were still getting it. Like you can subscribe for free to this, you know, on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Just hit subscribe. Give us a review. All right, guys. The Olympics are finally here. Don't forget, play in the electron.com running warehouse Tokyo prediction contest. Make the games way more exciting. Enter by 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Link in the show notes. Spread the word. Play with your friends. It's super easy. You pick the top three from our guide. Dreaming of Tokyo? You need to try something new in your training. And that's the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece. It's a new training tool that launched last year after 16 years of research. The Airwave Performance Mouthpiece fits along your bottom teeth and pushes your jaw just forward enough to create, quote, the optimal airway opening. Their tests show it can reduce the respiratory rate by 20%, which means less lactic acid, increase strength, muscular endurance, faster recovery times. It can reduce your cortisol buildup by up to 50%. Check it out. It's only $39.99. And lots of listeners can save 10% by using code LR10. Use code LR10. Link in the show notes, Airwave. That's A-I-R-W-A-A-V.com. Check it out now.